We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. We are in a series, we're in week three of a series called Gospel uh, Generosity. We're walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and the focus of this series uh, is that we want to see that living a life of generosity should flow from the generosity that we have been shown by Jesus in his giving his very life for our sins, that our generosity, we would live with open hands, uh, is in response to the generosity that we have received um, in Jesus. So Paul is writing this letter um, to a group of believers. And in chapters 8 and 9, these believers in Corinth, uh, he's encouraging them to give toward an offering that he's collecting uh, that's going to be used as support and aid for the believers in Jerusalem who are going through severe uh, suffering and poverty and persecution. And so Paul is asking some of these Gentile churches, hey, let's collect an offering. Let's give it to these uh, Gentile, our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters as a way of letting them know how much we love them and providing for them during this time of, of need. And what Paul does is, is as he's challenging the Corinthian believers to give, he wants them to give with the framework of the gospel being the motivation. He wants them to give out of a response to the gospel. This is why Paul says what he says in chapter 8, verse 9. He says, for you know, listen to this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think of that phrase, I want you to think of gift. He says, so you know the gift of God, this grace, this unearned favor. It was something that you didn't deserve, but God gave it anyway. Listen to what that gift is. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul is just simply saying, you need to live generously from the vantage point of the cross. You need to remember that it was the one who had possession of all the riches of heaven, who willfully chose to lay the riches of heaven aside to step into the poverty of humanity, so that us, we who were trapped in the poverty of humanity, might have the riches of heaven. And he says, in light of that generosity that we have received from Jesus, we should live generously. Now, listen, I, I'm, I know who I'm speaking to. I know because we talk about money uh, maybe four or five times a year uh, here at New Beginnings where we'll preach on it. And every single time, every single year, there's always people that get nervous because we're just funny when it comes to money, right? We get uncomfortable. The pastor's trying to get in my, my wallet again, and we kind of get nervous about uh, these uh, types of sermons. But um, I just think in every area of our life, we, we need to really examine what Christ has for us because uh, the reality is the reason we need to hear about it is because we are funny when it comes to our money. Here's, here's what I mean. Let me, like in, in, the, in the families or couples that are here um, this morning, I would dare to say that in every household, you're going to have two types of people when it comes to money. You're going to have spenders and you're going to have savers, right? 
You're going to have spenders. And spenders, they just, they, they just want to, they don't mind spending money. They're not worried about money. They'll just, just buy things. And, and, and typically, you can justify it. I'm not saying that you just kind of throw money away, but some of you do, right? Uh, so you're, you're the spenders. Then others of you, man, you are tight-fisted savers with your money, right? You're the one that's like, we're not buying gum. We're not going to, we're going to, you're probably those who cut the toothpaste thing open and lay it open and are scraping the toothpaste. Some of you are giggling because you're like, yep, I'm married to them. Um, so in every house, there's going to be a saver and there's going to be a, a spender. And I was thinking about that. There was a story I heard about a guy named John. He was married to a girl named Jill. And, and, and John was the spender of the family and Jill was the saver in the family. And they went to this fair. And at the fair, there was a guy doing like, like flying his airplane, doing tricks with his airplane and was offering rides. So he said, $100 a ride, a couple can get on and I'll take you up and do some of the tricks and you'll be able to get the thrill and experience of that type of, of uh, a, a aerial acrobatics. And, and so John was like, I'm in, I want to do it. And Jill's like, it's $100. And he's like, yeah, but it's, a, it's an opportunity of a lifetime where we may not have this opportunity again. I've always wanted to do something like this. And she's like, absolutely not. $100 is $100. I don't care how excited you are about this. Well, as they're arguing back and forth, the pilot overhears it and he says, listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will, I will take you up in the airplane and I will do the tricks. I will do the turns and the twists. And if you can make it from take off to landing without saying a word, I will give it to you for free. But if you say something, it's $100. And so Jill was like, all right, that's worth it. It kind of will satisfy both of us. Let's get on. So they get up in the air and this guy dips the plane, turns the plane, flips the plane, nothing, silence. Like they are digging in, no words. He's like, I've got to try harder. So he goes faster and falls further and twists even more quickly. And he does all of this and nothing, not a peep. And finally, he just kind of starts to make his descent. And he leans back to John and says, John, what is the deal? Man, I have twisted y'all like I've never twisted anyone before and not a word out of you. You guys are stone cold. And John's response was, well, I was going to say something when we lost Jill on your first turn. <laughs> but $100 is $100. <laughs> So we're funny when it comes to money, but here's, here's what, what, I, what I believe the root issue is. I think one of the reasons we, we struggle in this area and the reason we struggle with greed and try to hang on to our money or we want to go out and gain more of what the world has to offer is because we're hardwired for this. I mean, if you look at the Garden of Eden, they had everything that they would ever want in life, and yet they said, I want that tree that God says was off limits. And like, there's just something about us that wants uh, more And we live in a culture that says you are defined by what you drive and where you live and the trips that you go on and the, the things that you can acquire and the size of your 401k. All of those things in our culture become defining points for us. And because we get sucked into it, we begin to live for those things, whether it's on the saving side or the spending side. The, the issue for many of us is that we're, we're settling living for the things of this world. But listen, we as followers of Jesus, we are not made for this world. Amen? We're made for something so much more. This is why Jesus says what he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus gives warning, a warning to his followers. He says, take care. Take care. Watch out. Then he says this, and be on your guard. Have your head up and your eyes open. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. In other words, don't, 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 don't get caught up in the whole I want what they have game. Be on your guard against that. And listen to why. Jesus says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Jesus is saying, my followers have to recognize that there's more to life than stuff. There's more to life than cars and houses and and, and trips and big bank accounts and all of those things that we oftentimes live for. And Jesus says, you've got to guard your heart against this type of greed because this can take hold of us if we're not careful. And here's what I've learned through the years. And I've heard this from other pastors and, and, and church leaders. The one of the number one antidotes for a greedy heart is a generous heart. It is to learn to live with open hands so that we can hold loosely, listen, what we have in this world so that we can cling tightly to what's coming in the next. And this is what Paul is encouraging these believers to do. So the question we ask is, how do I do this? How do I leverage what God has entrusted to me in a way that makes an eternal impact? What I want to talk about this morning is really four truths that we need to remember, four truths that we need to remember so that we could live a life of gospel-advancing generosity, of of generosity that advances the mission of God and ultimately stores up treasures in uh, heaven. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, is where we're going to be. If you're there, say, I'm there. Start reading in verse 8. This is what Paul writes. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, now notice what Paul does here. He, he is emphasizing the magnitude of God's provision and generosity toward us. This is what he does throughout uh, th- this section of Scripture, verses uh, 8 through 10. And he wants to emphasize that God is the great provider of all we have. He emphasizes this in verse 9 and 10 by quoting some Old Testament passages. In verse 9, he's going to quote uh, Psalm 112. And then in, in verse 10, he's going to quote Isaiah 55. Listen to what he says here. He says, as it is written... He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's emphasizing the generosity of God. Look at what he says in verse 10. He, talking about God, who supplies seed for the sower to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul's point is simple. God is the ultimate ultimate provider of all that we have. Listen to this. This is what he's painting a picture of. The the, the very seed that the farmer plants in order to grow the grain by which he makes the bread, of which he eats, all of that comes from God. All of that comes from God. God is the great provider of everything we have. And this is the first truth I want you to remember if we're going to live with gospel advancing generosity. It's a very simple truth, but it's one we've got to hold on to. Remember this, that God is the source of all that we have. God is the source of all that we have. There is nothing in my possession that I did not receive from God. Now listen, this is a game changer when this really takes hold of our hearts and and really begins to be what defines how we view our resources uh, and our money. Uh, To recognize that all that I have, I have because God is generous and he has generously given to me every resource that's at my disposal. That everything that I have comes from him. He's the source of it all. Now you say this is elementary But listen, there's an argument. I know some of you may be even reasoning uh, in the room right now. You're like, wait a second. What do you mean God is the source of all that I have? I work hard for a living. 
Like, like I, I get up early, I work hard, I stay up late. Man, I, I, with these two hands, man, I am a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I, I know the work ethic that I have. For some of you are like, man, I know I work two and three jobs to put myself through college so that I could get the degree, so that I could start the job that I had. And I have spent years climbing the ladder. Man, I'm successful because of all the things that I have accomplished and I have done. Well, good for you. But here's a question for you. Who gave you the strength in your body to be able to work like you do? Who gave you the mental capacity to be able to go to school and do the work and to work those other jobs and think through to pass the test? Who was it that knit you together in your mother's womb, wiring you with certain dispositions so that you would be gifted in certain areas? Who is it that has placed you in the, the, maybe the, the, the realm of influence that you've been placed in so that you can meet the right people at the right time, at the right place, to get the right position and the right job? And by the way, just take a deep breath. The breath in your lungs in this moment is a gift that God has given you. Not one of you woke up this morning. I know I didn't wake up going, heart needs to beat, heart needs to beat, heart needs to beat, Right? No, 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 no. It's a common grace of God. God, everything that I have, I have because God is generous and he is the source of everything that is in my possession. Everything that is in my possession. This is why Paul says what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to what he says to them uh, earlier on in a previous letter. He says, for who sees anything different in you? Now, he's going to get really blunt here. What do you have that you did not receive? What's the answer? nothing. He says that if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So if, if, you, if you received it, then why are you bragging about what you got? There's nothing you have that you didn't receive from God. This is the point that he's making. If, if what we have, we have received from God, what right do we have to boast in it or hold on to it? If God is the giver of all my possessions, then how can I say no to the giver when he says you should give some of it away? I don't know how your kids work in your house, but my kids like sometimes lose their mind. Anybody here? Right, like, um, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be as, as gender neutral as possible so that no one can get blame in my home, all right? Because they are all equally guilty in this, in this realm. Have you ever, listen, okay, so this is, have you ever taken your kids to get candy like, get, you get candy for your kids. You're going to watch a movie at the house. You get candy for your kids. So they get a bag of Skittles or whatever. And you're sitting down and you're, and you're thinking, I, I would like a Skittle now. Hey, hey, can I have a couple of Skittles? Right? That's what they do with the bag. Like, nope, nope. And they'll turn like this right here. Your kids ever lost their mind and did that before? Yeah. And so they'll do that. And then I'm like, well, wait a second. I just want, I just, and they're like, okay. And then they'll, they'll do this. So. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm trying to find the red ones. I don't like the red ones. I'll give those away. <laughs> right? And then they're like, give you one, and it's like, like they're, they're, now they're protecting it. Like, I don't know about you. There are times where I want to lose my ever-loving mind over a bag of Skittles. And be like, are you kidding me? I literally left the home, got in my car with gas that I've put in it, drove to the store, walked in with these legs. I found the Skittles. I laid them on the counter. I gave the money. I've got the receipt to prove it. I got back in the car, drove back to the house, and handed you that. You only have it because of all of this, and you're going to tell me no? I don't do that because then I would be like a crazy dad, and I don't want to be that. 
How many parents will confess you felt that rising up in you every now and then, right? And we chuckle at that. But is that not how we do the provider of everything we have? Like, how dare he say that I should live generously? How dare he call me to give away a portion of my income to advance the mission through the church? Like, how could he do that? Because he's the provider of it all. Like, like so not only is he the provider of what you need to live, but Paul's going to emphasize he's the provider of what you've been called to give. Look what he says in verse 8 again. He says, God is able. Everybody say, God is able. God is able. Paul is emphasizing the the, the magnitude of God's ability. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having how much sufficiency? All sufficiency and how many things? That you may abound in everything, every good work. The word every there is, is the word all. He's simply saying, he says, God has able to give all grace and all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in all good works. What is the good work he's referring to? The generous gift that he's calling them to give toward the need in Jerusalem. What, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, listen, everything you have to live comes from God, which means everything I've called you to give also comes from God. God is only calling us to be generous out of an overflow with what he has entrusted to us. So for us to say, I don't have it to give, is not true. It, one, indicts God as if he doesn't provide. Listen, God knows exactly what he has entrusted to you. And it is within the realm of his provision that he is calling you to give and to live generously. God is not inviting you into generosity of somebody else's wealth. It's within the confines of what he, as the source, has provided to you. Our responsibility is to acknowledge that he is the source, therefore I must be obedient and faithful in what he has given me. Listen, this changes everything when we understand that he is the owner of all of it. It belongs to him, and therefore he is calling me to be generous within the resources that he, as the source of everything I have, has provided. But here is a, here's a promise that's attached to this. I want you to see this in verse 11. Listen to the promise. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, don't miss this. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way. And what Paul is saying is he's explicitly clear, listen, that, that God blesses generosity. When he speaks of being enriched, he says, you will be enriched. You will be blessed. Not you could be, you might be, but you will be. So listen, here's, here's the second thing I want us to remember. Here's the second truth I want you to remember if we're going to live in gospel advancing generosity, and it's simply this truth. God always, if I say always, God always blesses generosity. God always blesses generosity. This is the point Paul is making. Look what he goes. He says back in verse 6. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is using an agricultural metaphor here, and it's just a sowing and harvest, all right? Sowing seed and reaping the harvest. This is something that every farmer knows. The harvest will always be in proportion to what has been sown. Always. And every farmer knows, if I sow seeds, I will reap a harvest. And what he, he is simply communicating, Paul is saying, listen, God blesses those who faithfully sow, who faithfully live generously. 
I think somewhere along the way, we have been so burnt by the prosperity gospel movement that we as Baptists stop looking at the promises of God. That God promises that he will always bless generosity. Always. The word bountifully here, he says, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The word bountifully could be translated blessing. That if you sow a blessing, you will receive. You will reap a harvest, a blessing. And the proportion of which you sow, that is what you're going to reap. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He, he summarizes this verse in uh, verse 6. He says this. He says, generous givers will reap generous blessings from God, while those who withhold selfishly, uh, selfishly fearing loss will forfeit gain. If you hold on selfishly, you'll forfeit gain. But if you give generously, you will receive and reap a generous blessing from God. Now, this is a truth that we see echoed throughout the Scriptures. Look what he says in Proverbs 3, verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. In other words, the best and the first of all that you have. This is why in our, our family we made a decision years ago that the very first, the best that we're going to give in our family budget is going to be going to the, to the local church for advancing the mission of God. Because we want to give the first fruits, the best, the, the very first that God has entrusted to us. He says, then, this is the blessing, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four, he says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Have you ever noticed this? It's like that God just blesses generosity, that those who live generously are never in want, never really in need, even though there's sacrifices being made. And yet, those who are greedy and withhold and just want to keep everything for themselves, it's like there's always something missing in their life. They're, they're always in want of something else. There's an itch they never can really scratch, so it's never enough. Listen to what the scripture says in Malachi chapter 3 uh, verse uh, number 10. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby, listen to this, put me to the test. The only place in the Bible where God invites his people to test him is right here. And it's in regards to living generously. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, test me in this. You don't think I'm a generous God? You don't think that I'm going to bless generosity? Just, just test me in this. And I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and I'm going to bless you so that there's no need. Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, the pastor's gone prosperity gospel on us. No, no, no. I just want to hold tight to the promises of God. I want to hold tight to the promises of God. And here's the thing I want to make sure we get very clearly. This doesn't mean if you give, you get. But it does mean when you, when you live generously, you are blessed. And I do believe that God is able and willing and will often bless us with more monetary resources so that, because he says, you'll be enriched in every way in order to be a blessing, to, to bless others and to live generously in every way. But this is not limited to merely monetary blessings. Listen to me. Now here's, here's the way I want us to remember this. Here's the way I want us to frame this. God always blesses generosity. Amen? 
God promises in his word that he rewards generosity. So listen, I don't know what that blessing looks like, but here's what I do know. If the creator of the universe, if the God of heaven and earth, if the one who owns everything, the world and all that is in it belongs to him, if that God says to me, I will bless your generosity, I don't care what the blessing is, the blessing will be greater than anything that I could obtain through my greed. What I gain by his blessing is far greater than anything that I could obtain by my greed. And therefore, we, we live by faith in the promise that God always blesses generosity. Think about it like this. Think about if, you're, if you want to plant a garden, you take your, your various seeds and you hold those seeds in your hand. What are you holding in your hand? You are holding a potential garden, Right? But in order for that garden that's in your hand to actually become a, a garden that multiplies, what do you have to do with the seed in your hand? You have to release the seed in your hand. You have to sow it. You have to put it into the ground and water it. So you can say to yourself, man, I've got an entire garden here, and I don't know that I want to let go of the garden because, man, this is the only seed that I have, and I, I want to make sure that I hold on and protect it, so I'm going to hold tight to the seed and talk about how great the garden is that's in my hand. But that would be foolish, would it not? Because a wise person would say, you, you need to plant the seed. You've got to release the seed. You've got to give the seed away because what happens when you do, there is an abundance, there is a harvest, and guess what? There is more seed that's produced for future gardens. God blesses generosity. And when we let go of what God has given us, the resources that he has given us toward his mission, what we release multiplies and makes an eternal impact. And listen, and God rewards us in the obedience of that generosity, which, which leads me to the next verse that we need to look at, verse 12. Look what he says here. He's going to elaborate on what the outcome of this is for these believers and for us. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, for the ministry... Of this service, you might want to underline or highlight or circle that in your Bible, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Now, Paul wants them to know, not only does the generous gift provide for the basic needs of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, but more importantly, this gift will overflow into worship. So not only are the needs met, but now there is going to be worship that results from it. No, notice what he says here, why they will worship. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because, this is why they worship, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Now, don't miss what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that through this gift, these believers in Jerusalem will see the power of the transforming work of Jesus in the life of these Gentile believers. In other words, the sincerity of their confession of the gospel will be made visible through their generosity toward the need in Jerusalem. You see, these Jerusalem believers were a little skeptical of these Gentile conversions. 
They're like, wait a second, I don't know. Are they really walking away from their idol worship? Are they really going to let go of the things of this world and really follow, be devoted to Jesus? And is this really going to happen? And they're already a little skeptical of them. And so Paul is saying, listen, you know what's going to happen? When, you, when I show up and I say, let me tell you about the grace of God at work and the hearts and the lives of the churches in, 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 in Corinth and Macedonia and the other Gentile regions, I want to give you this gift. They've given this to you out of their own free will, out of their own volition because they love you and they care about you because the same Jesus Jesus that changed your life changed their life. What's going to happen is the Jerusalem believers not only going to have their needs met, but they're going to be overwhelmed with worship because they've seen through the generosity the transforming power of the gospel and the life of these Gentile believers. And then anyone else who hears about it will worship as well. Here's the, the third thing I want you to write down. Listen to this. Don't miss this. God is glorified when we live generously. God is glorified when we live generously. This is the point Paul is making. Paul refers to their gift, this, this generous offering, as an act of worship, and this act of worship will produce worship. Here's what I mean. Paul refers to this gift as, he says, this ministry, uh, the ministry of this service, the ministry of this service. Paul is referring to the gift that these Corinthian believers were going to give. But he uses very intentional language. The, the language here is, is priestly language. The idea is, is that of, a, of, an, of an act of worship and a sacrifice that's being made as an expression of worship. A literal way of translating what Paul is saying here is this. He says, hey, this act of worship is not only going to meet the needs of the believers in Jerusalem, but it's going to result in those believers worshiping. So he's saying, your act of worship in giving is going to produce greater worship in the hearts of the recipient. Worship produces worship. This is the point that he's making. Don't miss this. It's an act of worship by the giver that turns into the worship by the recipients and those who observe it. So it's like this in our context. When you give generously to the mission of God in New Beginnings, here's what you're doing. Prayerfully, you're giving out of an overflow and uh, response to the gospel as an act of worship. This, the ministry of this service is an act of worship. So I'm giving as a way of saying, God, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for what you've entrusted me. Thank you for the work that you've done in my life. Thank you for the gift that you've given me. And as a, as a, as a way of saying thank you, I'm going to give as an act of worship. So that, that offering is received, the ministry goes forward, and guess what happens to the gift that you've given as an act of worship? Needs are met, lives are changed, and people go from far from God to be in a relationship with God who now become worshipers of God. So the, 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 the worship of the giver now becomes the worship of the recipient. And then anyone who hears about it has opportunity to worship as well. Here's what I mean. Last week, we had a team in Mexico, and our team went into Mexico City uh, working with the International Mission Board, um, our, our mission arm of the Southern Baptist Convention for International Missions, and uh, helping with some church planning work there. And, and George uh, took a team with him, and uh, they, they saw a lot of great things happen. But I want to share one story with you. There's a picture I want you to see. Um, this, the guy on the left is Chester. He's one of our members, went with us uh, on this trip. And then George to the right. And then you have, in the middle, you have Frederico and Antoine. Uh, Frederico and Antoine, um, they, they kind of crossed paths. I can't tell the whole story, but basically, in a nutshell, um, these two men were at a park. Well, we were at a park serving, and one of our ladies left her phone, forgot her phone at the park, which is probably not a good idea in Mexico City. And so, uh, but we go back to get the phone a little later, and uh, Antoine and Frederico were there. 
And, um, and, and these guys have, have a pretty shady past, live a lot of, a lot of rough, rough time in their past, uh, uh, leading gangs, involved with the cartel. I mean, just some, some pretty hardened guys. And they were there, and Frederico was asking about what we were doing, but he was a little uh, under the influence. And, um, but he was asking about, and we said we were doing mission work, and so they tried to talk to him. He was asking a bunch of spiritual questions, but the state of his mind at that moment was not ready to receive the gospel and, uh, because he had received an, uh, some Uncle Jack. And so... He, um, and so he's, he's, so they said, well, listen, here's our number tomorrow. If you have the same questions, call us. So the next day before they can even get their day going, Antoine called them. My Antoine, not a believer, rough life, gang, all this kind of stuff. Antoine calls him and says, Hey, I don't know if it's possible, but do you think y'all could send somebody to my mother-in-law's house? She's sick. And I would love for y'all to pray for her. So they go to Antoine, gang member, mother-in-law's house, lay hands on the mother-in-law, pray for her healing, and then shared the gospel and three people in the house gave their life to Jesus. How crazy is that? Now, y'all need to stop clapping because the story's not over, all right? So, so they leave. So Antoine is like, now his world is turning upside down. Like, what is happening here? He says, hey, can y'all come to my house at two o'clock? So what do they do? You bet we can go there at 2 o'clock. So they go to his house at 2 o'clock, and now they're in his living room. Frederico, sober, is there as well. And they're talking about the fact that we just sense that, that there's something spiritual happening and that God sent you guys here. We, we are so broken over the life that we've lived. We don't want to live this way anymore. There's so many murders and so much drug addiction. There's all these things that's destroying our family. We've seen it every single day. Just a couple of weeks ago, one of their nephews was murdered because of a drug deal. And these guys were just like, we don't want to live this life, but we don't know how to change. And we don't know how to change the city. And George is like, you invited the right guy because I know who can change it. His name is Jesus. He shares the gospel. Both Frederico and Antoine give their life to Christ. And the church that they're trying to get, we're trying to get going there in Mexico City doesn't have a permanent home um, because of Antoine's connection in the community from his former line of work. He says, hey, I know a guy who knows a guy, and there's a building I can get us access to that the church can have a permanent home. And now Antoine is connecting A with B, and now this church that we went to help get started is going to have a permanent home there in Mexico City. Is God crazy or What? This is unbelievable. Now, now, let me just tell you what happened. Let me just tell you what just happened. You ready? Months ago, whenever, weeks ago, last week, whatever, many of you gave generously to the mission and to the work here at New Beginnings. Some of you not even knowing there was going to be a group of people going to, to, to Mexico City to be a part of a church plant. Certainly not thinking about Frederico, Antoine, or the three people in the house. You weren't even thinking about it. You're just like, God, you've given, so I'm going to give. And you, as an act of worship, you gave. That money was used to mobilize a team of people to Mexico City where there was a need. What was the need? The need was for a local church and for salvation for Frederico and Antoine and a group of people in his mama-in-law's house. And because of your generosity, this team went. The need was met. Now you've got five new brothers and sisters in Christ who are worshiping God, who are going to change their city. And now the testimony has come full circle all the way back to Longview, Texas. And three times you've broken out in a hand clap of worship to the Lord. Yes. Let me tell you what just happened. What Paul says happens when we live generously. That the, your contribution not only meets the need, but it overflows, and this is Paul's statement, into many thanksgiving to God. 
It's a mini thanksgiving to God. You just demonstrated what Paul says happens when we give generously to the mission of God. That God is glorified. Which leads me to the last and final phrase. Look at verse 15. Paul just is just overwhelmed. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Don't miss this. Paul has been challenging these believers to live and give generously. And he wants them to see that you need to give extravagantly and give joyfully. But at the very end of all this dialogue about inviting the church to give, Paul stops at the end and is overwhelmed, standing in awe of the cross of Jesus and says, but look, you got to see most importantly, the most inexpressible gift ever made. The greatest gift ever made. And here is number four. Here's the fourth thing you need to remember if you're going to live a life of gospel advancing generosity. Listen, God has already given the greater gift. God has already given the greater gift. Paul, Paul is overwhelmed. He's saying, listen, you need to give. You need to get, support these believers. You need to do this. But listen, do so with your eyes fixed on the greatest gift that's ever been given. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What does he mean? Paul says, look, God's gift toward us in Christ is so overwhelming that I can't have, I don't have words that can express it adequately. It's just an inexpressible gift. You ever receive something from someone and you're just like, I don't have any words. You were just so overwhelmed. You're just like, I, I don't even know what to say to this. Paul is saying this should be the disposition of our heart always. We should never get over the gospel, church. Because it is from the vantage point of the cross that we live generously. And if you show me a person who lives a greedy life, I will show you a person who does not live in awe of the inexpressible gift that has been given in Christ. You can sing as loud as you want. You can raise your hands and hop in worship. You can do all of those things. But if you're not living generous, then you're not living in awe of the generosity that's been expressed to you. Listen, we got to remember the gift that has been given. Listen to what the Scripture says that we have received in Christ. Listen, there's a verse of Scripture we're going to be hearing a lot through the holidays. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Listen to this. For unto us... A child is born. For unto us a son is what? Is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is simply telling us, listen, there, there's a, there is a gift that God has given that he is freely, just by his grace, a son is going to be uh, given to you. A child is going to be born. And because of that, in an uncertain day of government trouble and trials that we face, we can live with confidence. Why? Because there is one greater than a president, one greater than a Congress, one greater than a Senate. There is one that's greater in the government of the world is on his shoulder. And in him we find counsel and peace. And we find a father. In him we find everything that we need. Why? Because God in his generosity has given us a son who is going to be born. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So no matter who you are, where, where you've been, what you've done, what your condition your life is in, God so loved you that he gave freely, generously of himself so that you might receive eternal life. Romans chapter 8 verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give 
us all things. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in this is love. Not, uh, in, this, in this, the love of God was manifested among us that God sent. The word sent there simply means gave, that God gave his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave, sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Church family, this is, the, this is the starting blocks for us. It's not, the starting blocks is not with your wallet and your finances. The starting blocks for generosity is gazing at the cross of Christ and seeing that there is a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And because that gift has been given, my response is that I'm going to give with an overflow of what I've received. So here's what that means for you. For some of you this morning, it does not start with you grabbing your checkbook or grabbing your budget and saying, I want to start living generously. It starts for some of you by receiving a gift before you give a gift. Receiving the generosity of God by embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never trusted in the finished work of Christ. You've never gave your life to him. And so here's where you start this morning. Receive Acknowledge that you are a sinner, that Jesus came and he gave his very life so that your sins might be covered. He died in your place. He paid the debt that you owed. In his generosity, he paid it completely. And he resurrected from the grave. The resurrection is simply the receipt from God saying the debt has been paid. And so for some of you this morning, you've never trusted in the generosity of God. And today, you need to come and receive him. We're going to have prayer partners up here in just a few moments. would love for you to leave your seat and come and say, I need to receive the gift of Jesus. If that is you, don't leave this place without receiving that, that gift. But others of you in this room, you, you've received the gift, but you have not lived generously in response to the gift that you received. And so we're going to worship for a few moments. We're going to lift our voices and sing a praise to the one who gave everything so that we might have life. And here is my encouragement to you. If you are not faithful and living generously, just remember this morning. Listen, everything you have came from him. He blesses generosity. He is glorified when you live this way. And listen, and you do this because he's already given the greater gift. Father, I love you and I thank you for an opportunity to worship in response. So God, if there is anyone here that needs a relationship with you, may they leave their seat in a few moments and come and pray with one of our encouragers and find life. For those who are living as believers, uh, disobedient in the area of finances, I pray that there would be a confession, repentance, and in light of the gospel, a reordering of their budget. And Lord, maybe there are those who, in this room this morning who just are struggling, struggling financially, struggling with health, struggling with relationships, and they just need encouragement. I pray they would know this is an okay place not to be okay. And they can find men and women here at the front that will pray for them. So God, we lay this time before you and ask that you be glorified through our worship in response to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903 759 5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. 
As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.